Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. We have so much ground to cover today. I have to jump right into it. I'll tell you uh, very briefly how things are going to go today. You and I have about two hours to spend together. Some of that time, starting at 1.30, will be dedicated to uh, Governor Gary Herbert and Dr. Angela Dunn. They will be delivering a joint press conference where Dr. Dunn, as you know, the state epidemiologist, will be giving us an update on some of the uh, medical circumstances as they uh, develop here in the state of Utah. Some of those numbers, we unfortunately have learned that the number of deaths here in the state of Utah to come as a result of the coronavirus has increased to seven hospitalizations uh, total from the onset of this pandemic, uh, now total 91, and the total number of positive cases here in the state, uh, 1,012. There is some encouraging uh, news to come from these latest uh, numbers to be reported from the coronavirus.utah.gov website, and that is the uh, total number of reported people tested. That number right now stands at 20,155. And I'm going to let uh, Angela Dunn explain this in much more authoritative detail when she comes on the air during the press conference. But she's going to talk to you, I'm fairly certain, about percentages and how uh, our the increase of these numbers, the rate of increase is not increasing. All right. That's been the case for the past few days. It's too soon to assert that we have flattened the curve, but... If we continue on our current trajectory, according to Dr. Dunn, in a week or two, we may be able to pat ourselves on the back uh, and, and uh, know that our good work, our good disciplined work of maintaining this social distance is bearing fruit. Now, we'll have to keep it up, I'm sure, uh, but we will know that we are at least on the right path. I'm going to let uh, I'm going to step away from that. I don't want to put any words into the epidemiologist's mouth, uh, but I am anxious to hear her uh, analysis of these latest numbers. Again, so sorry to have to report that the, the death count has in, increased uh, now by two, and we stand at a total of seven. Seven Utahns having lost their lives uh, to the coronavirus. Uh, later on in the program, we are going to touch on a number of additional things. Uh, Mary Richards, uh, you know, a reporter on this radio station, she uh, traveled out to uh, upstate New York, Palmyra, to produce a special documentary to air in conjunction with uh, General Conference, which is coming up this weekend. Uh, the name of her documentary is called First Vision Bicentennial. Uh, the account given by Joseph Smith of the First Vision in the Sacred Grove in Palmyra, New York. York uh, is celebrating its uh, bicentennial. It has been 200 years uh, since that first vision account. And uh, Mary Rich is going to join me later on to talk about some of her experiences back there. And now I'll, I'll tell you very briefly why I'm so excited to talk to her and to listen to her documentary. That, uh, I, I don't like admitting that I didn't grow up uh, uh, in Utah, but uh, I will tell you, I grew up 
uh, right down the street from Palmyra, New York. Uh, and so the, the church's historic sites back there in New York have a special place in my heart, and I'm anxious to, to hear from Mary Richards. Uh, also, back to the issue of coronavirus. Money's tight, right? Some of us have uh, had to forego a little bit of salary. We've lost some hours. Uh, We don't have the tips coming in like they used to. Uh, Times are tight, and we are getting creative in our efforts to make ends meet. We're going to be speaking to someone named Jana Dahl. She is the owner of Americans Barter Exchange. It's a... Uh, an operation headquartered in in Utah County, and essentially it bypasses the need for currency and connects individuals who would like to barter goods and services with one another. Across the country, these types of exchanges have seen a dramatic uptick in activity. So we'll have uh, the the owner of that exchange on this program to explain exactly what bartering for goods and services means and how maybe it could be of benefit to you. Later on, we'll talk about the census, and we're going to talk about rural Utah and how the coronavirus coronavirus is impacting things uh, a little further out of town. Now, I want to talk to you about a hero. Earlier on today, you heard on these airwaves a conversation between Dave and Debbie and the director of the CDC, a man named Dr. Robert Redfield. And let me just say that you were very lucky uh, to hear from that man directly, and it was a wonderful treat to have him on these airwaves. My hat's off to Dave and Debbie for arranging that interview, uh, for Andrew, producer, for pulling that all off. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And as I uh, listened to the doctor speak today, I was reminded of his background and what uh, an extraordinary man he is. I want to give you a very brief look at uh, where he comes from, the type of work he's done in the past, and some of the exemplary actions he has taken as director of the CDC. And then if I have some time, I want to share with you again some of the comments he made this morning uh, with Dave and Debbie. The first thing I remember uh, was in 2018. I was a a staffer back in Washington, D.C. when he assumed uh, the position of director of the CDC. Uh, He delivered some remarks to the staff that make up uh, the Center for Disease Control, all the doctors and scientists that uh, work together uh, to do the good work uh, done by the CDC. And his first uh, act as director was to deliver a press conference, uh, both in person and broadcast to all of the individual employees of the CDC. And he choked up twice. And he choked up uh, on those two occasions, each one, each time after he made reference to the Center for Disease Control and his attitude that progress and the way that we will protect human life and control diseases like the one we're facing now will be based in science and that we ought to take great confidence in the science that is used to combat these diseases. Now, it's interesting to to consider someone getting choked up as they uh, talk about science, but it is exactly uh, what got this man choked up. He has been, uh, for his entire professional career, dedicated uh, to healing people. Uh, He was in the Army uh, for almost uh, 20 years, retired as a colonel uh, in the Medical Corps. Uh, He was in the Army uh, Medical Corps, and he uh, did later a lot of work at Walter Reed. That's the hospital in Washington, D.C., uh, where he takes care of not only members of the armed services, uh, but sharing the things he learned there uh, with the rest of the world to keep us safe. Now, let me tell you one last anecdote, and then I'm going to get to uh, what he had to say this morning. And it has to do with his salary. Now, that's an odd thing to bring up, but let me tell you the story, and it, I think, may illustrate an aspect of his personality uh, and his morale. Uh, 
that you may find impressive. So when he comes on in 2018 as the director of the CDC, his salary was $375,000 a year. Now that's, that's a lot. In fact, it was significantly higher than his predecessor. The, the man who occupied the position of CDC director just before uh, Dr. Redfield received only $219,000. And, well, in an effort to, uh, in an effort to you know, minimize distraction, in an effort to make sure that his compensation did not take away from the mission of the CDC, he voluntarily reduced his own pay to $209,000, okay, $10,000 less than his predecessor and $175,000 less than he was initially offered when he came on board. Now, he did that because he believed so heartily in the mission at hand, in the mission of the CDC. And I've rambled on uh, talking to this doc, talking about this doctor's good background. I've run out of time to share with you what he had to say this morning. Uh, but what we're going to do now is take when we come back. I'm, I have just a few minutes to share with you what he said to uh, Dave and Debbie this morning. And we're going to talk about some other things, particularly FDA approval of drugs. Uh, it's an interesting, fascinating conversation I want to share with you next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. I have to apologize to you. I managed my time poorly in that first segment. I wanted to get through the whole conversation with the CDC director uh, that he had this morning with Dave and Debbie. And then I wanted to tell you about the FDA. And we're going to have to, if I'm honest, come back to the FDA conversation. I just a few days ago had a conversation with U.S. Attorney for the District of Utah, John Huber, uh, and he made it known to all of those folks out there who would look to take advantage of this coronavirus uh, circumstance, this coronavirus pandemic, to take advantage of individuals by trying to pass off uh, some of these uh, sham elixirs and whatever medicines claiming to treat and cure the coronavirus that they ought to watch out because he's coming after them because that's wrong and it's illegal. And it got me thinking about the process through which drugs do need to pass to seek uh, or to gain FDA approval. And I've done some research, and uh, in fact, uh, I went back to school. Well, that's an overstatement. Uh, you know how some of these colleges around the country, they offer free classes? Well, I uh, clicked and clacked on the Internet the other night when I couldn't sleep and found that Harvard, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, Harvard has a free uh, class. You can audit a class that gives the background of the FDA, essentially from day one to the present. Uh, what is the FDA? How does it operate? And what benefit does it serve uh, our country? I've learned some fascinating things. I want to share them with you. I though don't have time right now. I promise we'll get back to it. Uh, help me remember, though. 57500 is the Utah Community Credit Union text line. If it slips my mind, uh, I want you to get on my case and say, Lee, uh, tell us that FDA story. It's absolutely fascinating. But now let's turn our attention back to the director of the CDC. He 
just this morning joined on these airwaves, Dave and Dejanovic, uh, and had an f- absolutely fascinating conversation. For the rest of this segment, let's you and I walk through uh, some of the exchange between Dave Debbie and Dr. Robert Redfield. F- first question uh, Dr. Redfield answered uh, had to do with the importance of understanding the magnitude of the situation. It's important for the American public to understand the potential magnitude of the challenge that we have. I mean, this is the greatest public health crisis that's hit this nation in more than 100 years. So that's not hyperbole. That's just a fact. The last one, of course, the Spanish flu of just over 100 years ago. Uh, Next up, Dr. Redfield continues to say that we have the most powerful weapon against the virus. We have actually one of the most powerful weapons against this virus right in our own hands. And that's our personal decisions. Uh, This is why these mitigation strategies of social distancing, staying six feet away from each other, limiting our movement outside the house, uh, staying home if we're sick, um, working from home, uh, schooling from home, um, all of these are really powerful. This virus... uh, can go from human to human, and it is significantly infectious. Then Dr. Redfield, again, director of the CDC, goes on and uses uh, the example of a viral video showing burning matches. I've seen a a thing on NBC News, I put it on my Twitter page, where you line up a number of matches, and you light the match, and you just see the fire burn, and then they remove one match, so there's maybe a double-finger distance between the matches, the virus goes out. So this is why we really do ask all Americans. We thank those that have already uh, sacrificed and and taken on these uh, recommendations that we've put forth in the uh, president's recommendation to slow the spread of coronavirus. Um, I'm now asking the rest of uh, our nation that has been sort of on the sidelines to really embrace these, fully embrace these over the next four weeks. We oftentimes as we try to understand the coronavirus, its spread, our impact on that spread, uh, we focus on the numbers. Right now, of course, in Utah, uh, the unfortunate news of today, the death count now stands at seven, uh, over a thousand confirmed cases uh, and over 90 hospitalizations. The numbers on a national scale are also catching our attention. There have been uh, speculations that some of the uh, death counts could eclipse 100,000. Dave asked uh, of Dr. Redfield, again, CDC director, if the number of deaths are going to pass 200,000. That number doesn't have to be 100,000. It doesn't have to be 200,000. It can be much less, but it's going to be dependent upon how aggressively all of us get part of uh, uh, jump into this fight. I tell people when they sacrifice, uh, envision the picture of their face of their, their grandparent or their parent or their co-worker with diabetes or HIV infection or significant heart disease or neighbor or a child trying to live life with uh, the full, full in fullness with cancer. We're trying to protect these vulnerable. Most of us are going to get well. Ninety-eight and a half to 99 percent of us who get this virus are going to recover. Dr. Redfield says it's up to us to protect the vulnerable. Uh, what we're trying to do is protect the vulnerable. Those are the ones that are at risk for mortality, and that's what we have in our hands now. We can really limit the mortality substantially if we all embrace these social distancing practices. Then Debbie asked Dr. Redfield if he thinks Utah should extend the stay-at-home rule from mid-April to the end of April. The president's made the recommendation nationally now uh, for the end of April. 
uh, we're going to be reevaluating the data, what we do on a daily basis. And that also, I'm confident your governor and your health officials will be doing the same. He continues to say, quote, it's important not to step back too early. Um, It's going to be critical that we don't step back too early. And it's also going to be critical that we have in place those things that we need um, for when we do step back, that we can get back to early case identification, isolation, and contact tracing so we can prevent a a recrudescence of uh, clusters and spread. And then to the question of investment and preparedness, he goes on to say that this country has underinvested on public health. I will say one thing that should be evident to, I think, all of us by this outbreak is that one area that our nation has just underinvested in for decades, decades, is public health. Now is the time to substantially augment our public health capacity. So your public health teams have the ability to do early diagnosis, case recognition, isolation, and contact tracing, and to operationalize uh, public health. Because as we do sort of release from this isolation slowly and get back to normalcy, it's going to be so critical to have a, a just a highly, highly functioning public health system because the reality is this virus is here with us to stay. That again, Dr. Robert Redfield, director of the CDC, joining Dave and Dejanovic this morning on these airwaves. And if you uh, would like to hear that interview in its entirety, and I encourage you to do so, there is so much more the doctor had to share. Uh, I invite you to go to kslnewsradio.com. You can listen to that in the podcast section in in its entirety, or of course, wherever you uh, listen to podcasts. Again, Dr. Robert Redfield, director of the CDC, a guest on these airwaves during the Dave and Dejanovic program this morning. Going to take a break now. When we come back, we'll be standing by to hear a press conference delivered by Governor Gary Herbert and Dr. Angela Dunn as they provide a situational update on efforts to slow the spread of COVID-19 in Utah. That's ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.